what is up what is going on uh fam family liberty movement my people our people love having you here every single time thank you so much um this is the cajun libertarian live i am your host the cajun libertarian uh for the new people on the show thank you very much for watching uh very much appreciate you being here it's going to be an exciting and absolutely excellent night and i cannot wait uh, i love every one of these episodes i love every one of these interviews and you are amazing and you make this you make this go i mean that's real you make uh every part of the show go you make every part of this cajun Liberty Cajun Libertarian brand run. Um, big shout out to my team. Uh, I just I can't thank you enough. Uh, Ashley Smoot, Carly Rose, my wife, especially Brian Ramsey, uh, Brian Lambrick, Matt Wright, Spike Cohen, uh, Muddy Waters Media. I, I mean, like. It's pretty incredible uh, to be sitting in this spot right here with you, um, being able to continue to spread the message of liberty. There's a lot of comments already. Um, we're going to not get into that yet just because we have a lot to cover. And um, I'm very, very, very excited. And so let's knock out the traditional things. Um that we have to go through and yeah <laughs> as you well know I, I i'm not a huge fan of all this but it is part of the gig so join the libertarian seafood caucus join every single part of muddy waters uh media which all of that i love the fundraising part with the cajunlibertarian.com stuff is what i don't like but that's how we do things that's how we raise money there it is paypal and you can buy merch at KedgeLibertarian.com. Glad to get that knocked out of the way and very fast. Love, 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 love everybody being here tonight. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to have Angela on. Um, I've had her scheduled for like a month and a half. And so this is very, very good timing uh, that she's coming on. Uh, not just that. I mean, she's going to be incredible anyway. And so um, I just wanted to, you know, throw that out there. It's been a while. We've had her on, on the schedule for a long time. And I'm very excited to hear what she has to say. And I hope that you guys are too. I think everybody is. Um, I'm saying I'm a lot. Brian's going to kill me. <laughs> That's all right. So, um, and there it is again. I love you very much, every one of y'all. With that being said, let's bring her on. Angela, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. This is great timing. Uh, you're an exceptional uh, human being, and, and everything I've heard about you is absolutely fantastic. So please tell us about how you got to the LA chair and what are your plans from here on out? Because wow, you've got a lot of things going. 
how did I become LA County chair? Yeah. Well, I got active in the LA County LP in 2016. Started I got active again. I had I had attended some meetings really haphazardly in like 2014. Um, I'd been connected to the Los Angeles Libertarian Party through a cannabis legalization initiative that I'd been working on at the time called um, was it CCH it was um, California cannabis hemp prohibition like repeal initiative much better than what we got passed now. And, uh, you know, I had just been working on sort of like Liberty, like single issue coalition stuff in the meantime, working to oppose the what's called SB 277. It's a California mandatory vaccine law for for kids in school, public and private school. So I've been working kind of loosely with all these like libertarian people, but not been really involved in the party. So I finally started going back to meetings in 2016. I got roped into running for Congress in 2017. And uh, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. And I did it again. And so, you know, I just got really active in the party and paying attention. And I remember being really frustrated um, because there was almost no candidate support at the county level. Like they seemed to not, I went to a meeting and I was like, Hey, can you, uh, what have you guys got to help us? You know, I know not everybody's like a millionaire, you know, but, but what, what can you do? And the answer was kind of, Oh, Oh, I, I don't know who you should talk to for that. And that blew my mind. So I thought maybe I should try to chair this thing. Cause it seems like the, you know, no offense, but it seems like the bar is a little bit low right now. Right. So I took it like pretty seriously, probably more seriously than I needed to. And, <laughs> and I, and I won at the, at the next County convention nice. and I've just been going with it ever since, you know, and it's been absolutely wonderful and, and a real blessing. I'm, I'm just really happy to be running LA County right now with a great group of people. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's Los Angeles. That's crazy. And so what's life like right now in Los Angeles, California? Because it, from our end, from a media perspective, which, you know, we don't get a lot of insight into the inner workings of what's going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, what? Uh, tell us what's going on in L.A. right now and, and, um, and where we fit in as a party, if you don't mind. Well, I'll tell you, we've had two libertarians elected to local government in the last year. So that's great. Nils Narenheim nice. was elected to Redondo Beach City Council. He was actually an incumbent and he crushed it in his reelection bid <laughs> with, I think, around 61%, which is a really good bit. He's a registered libertarian, like declared. It's, you know. Nice. So that was, that was really exciting. And then we just had a guy named Scott Mandel get elected to neighborhood council in, I think, Studio City. So for those of you who, who aren't in the know, LA County is so huge. Actually, the city of Los Angeles is so huge that we have neighborhood councils that answer to the city council. And some of them, they're pretty irrelevant. They don't do a lot of meaningful work. But others, like the one that Scott was recently elected to, do have quite a bit of say in uh, what kind of developments go on in the neighborhood, what kind of parking and zoning regulations, housing, how the budget is allocated for their area. So it can actually be a, it's a great way to get involved in local government. 
some of the races are not so difficult to to win. Uh, you know, Scott definitely he won with a with a decent margin too. I don't remember it exactly, so that's encouraging. One of the things that he ran on was you know dealing with the homelessness crisis. So that's like a big issue in LA. I I wonder. Do you know how many people live in the in the city that that you live in? Do you know what the population is? Uh, and so I, I've I've lived in several large or <laughs> I say large, not Los Angeles, but being in Jackson, Mississippi, and then uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah, it's it's going to be large, but not on your level. And but I would assume that the homeless crisis is a big deal here as well. It's about a hundred thousand homeless people in LA County. Yeah, that's not here. It's the size of a city you know, like i grew up in longview texas which is the way that i would describe it is that it's yellow on the map like it's not like a meaningless dot like there were like seventy-six thousand people living there when i was there um more, you know 20 years ago there's a there were a lot of people there like they got a mall they have like nightlife you know and there are over a hundred thousand people now and so if you took a hundred thousand homeless people and moved them somewhere, like that's bigger than a lot of cities where, you know, our friends and family live. So it's insane. It's nuts. Um, central planning has absolutely failed LA part of, we have tent cities all over the town and in nice areas too. It's not just skid row. Like skid row is like an open air asylum at this point. Right. And, yeah, the homelessness crisis has spread all over LA. No one knows what to do. A lot of people got evicted right before the, you know, like coronavirus, uh, pan the whatever you want to call it, pandemic. Right. Um, pandemic. Yeah, there was, and then there, you know, there were eviction moratoriums, and so that kept a lot of people in their homes, for better or worse. But people still ended up losing their jobs and a lot of people flock here who are homeless and it's understandable from their perspective because we blast out into the world about how many social services and free programs we have and we have perfect weather. So why wouldn't you want to come here, right? If you're hearing about how great it is to be homeless here. Hypodermic needles all over the place in people's yards, playgrounds. That's what LA looks like. Garbage heaps that stretch from the sidewalk 20, 30 feet up to the top of a freeway off ramp or on ramp. That's crazy. 10 to 20 feet, uh, 20 feet at least wide, bagged. Even, even the homeless people, they don't know what to do with it. You know, the ones who are trying to be clean and maintain it. So, what's the state of LA? Considering how everybody still kind of thinks we should be locked down partially, mm -hmm. which is a whole other thing, it's like a post apocalyptic right. wasteland. That, that, and you know, <laughs> that's sad because that's exactly what I've heard. Yeah. And nobody wants to hear that. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I've heard it for a long time and I'm like, ah, that's just got to be blown over proportion. That, that it can't be real. It can't be real. But it sounds like what you're telling me is it's real. Downtown LA, violent crime is like off the charts. You know, there's a there's a DTLA Facebook group that I've been in a long time because I used to live and, and I used to live right next to downtown LA and I worked in downtown LA and people will comment all the time. I got mugged last night. A guy 
randomly I was jogging and someone hit me in the face with a bag or a pipe, people just laugh. They're just like, haha, LOL, welcome to downtown LA, suck it up. That's the attitude. It's like, it's an angry place. People are unhappy. They, the ones, and, and most of them did, but the, the ones that bought into locking down and that we should all be at home, like they are, they are angry, unhappy people. And, um, you know, it's sad you know, that, that they take it out on everyone else. And then you couple that with the homelessness crisis and the what I call now the garbage crisis. It's just a sad place, you know, and it used to be so beautiful. Like, I love LA, you know, I love what it was. You don't love what it is right. now. Right. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people around the country look to LA as like this, uh, you know, this icon of fashion and industry and mm -hmm. capitalism and and just you know economically rich but i think you're really painting us the real story yeah and um that's extraordinarily important uh especially for our party in our liberty movement am i wrong on that like i think we can make a big impact here yeah so L.A., people always ask, why don't all the libertarians leave L.A.? You know, it's it's not pleasant at this point. And, and sure, it's, it's worth considering leaving. But the counterpoint to that is that Los Angeles is like the canary in the coal mine. That's how California is mm. at large. We make culture. Culture flows downstream of us. We make policies. We do things here. We set trends. And it is and it ripples throughout the country. So... You want to know what your state might look like in 10 or 20 years? You look at LA. You know, we are we have many Silicon Valley. We have a lot of wealth. We have so many cool things to offer and watching them all get crushed by central planning and it's like central planning experimentation, right? Like they the people in charge sort of see us like little rats in a cage. And oh, let's try this, let's try that and see what happens. They, we're not treated like human beings from their perspective. The corruption at city council, it's like insane. Um, that is very likely to happen in other places of the country, especially when you see so many people with very bad political views migrating out of LA and going to places like Arizona and Idaho. It, it makes me embarrassed, you know, and, and sad to say it, but watch out, watch out for when people from LA are moving into your communities, because I, guarantee you unless they're stated libertarians or you know like conservative to some extent they are absolutely going to bring their bad policies with them they have not learned yeah i think texas is going through a lot of that right now um i do have the advantage uh i know you have much more of an advantage than i do but i do have the advantage of uh talking to people all over the country and to hear the mass exodus of Californians into their state and then them absolutely voting the same way they did in California and acting the same way they did in California. It's just that blows my mind. Oh, yeah. Cost of living with all of this entitlement programs that's going to go through the roof with all of the cronyism and the consolidation of power. People just I don't know if it's you. I could say they don't learn. But I think it's a little bit more than that. I feel that there is, they're willfully ignorant and hubristic 
about the policies that they voted for and taking it with them. And I don't, I haven't figured out what to do with that. I think about it a lot and I'm still trying to figure out like, how do you deal with such a large chunk of the population that has basically declared that they reject the truth? Yeah. <laughs> That's challenging. I, you know, I, I want to figure it out, but I'm not there yet. Yeah. Uh, me either. I don't even know where to begin, to be honest with you. Um, other than the boots on the ground part, you know, yeah. uh, other than getting out there and being involved in your community on an individual basis, which is something I talk about a lot. Uh, I, I'm not sure how to do especially when they're mass exiting like they are into these other communities. So what I would say, and, and I don't have to tell them this, uh, we talk often is that as these Californians uh, migrate to their state, you know, reach them on an individual basis, uh, volunteer in your community, show them that the message we have to offer is very, very much different than anybody else in what they're offering. And um, I, I think that's going to go a long way, but I don't know how far that's going to go considering the, uh, I mean, I don't know how to say it. it's a literal mass exodus, but oh, yet yeah. they're still doing the same thing. Yep. It's, it's concerning. My brother just moved from Southern California to Texas. Now, you know, to be fair, he's pretty libertarian and, he, you know, we lived in Texas, so he's kind of going back, <laughs> but, uh, he said all the time in the, in the leaving, all the leaving California groups that he was in and social media, people are like, don't move here. If you have bad politics, go somewhere else, leave your politics in California. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens to Texas, you know, it breaks my heart. Cause I spent a lot of time there in my childhood, you know, at least 10 years. I was born in uh, new Orleans actually. So no kid. Oh my God. I, I qualify to be on the Cajun Libertarian podcast. You, you, well, you are more than qualified. You also qualify overwhelmingly to be in the Libertarian Party Seafood Caucus, which is the most wholesome caucus of all the caucuses. It sounds very, it sounds very wholesome. I do see that you have a little bit of internal conflict in there, whether or not, uh, you know, like what kind of seafood is the best? Like, uh, is it like <laughs> there was like the, the, the Eskimo caucus yeah, yeah, or yeah. the faction within your caucus, you know, versus the, the Cajun seafood boil. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Eskimo libertarian is my counter uh, part or my confidant. We started that. Uh, sorry, I've got a, a, a kitten right below my, my feet right now. Um, yeah, her and I started it together. That was kind of a running joke, but we've actually uh, got that caucus moving in the direction that or caucus. Uh, it's it started off as a joke and just to have fun, which is important right now. We need some fun. Mm -hmm. We need some lighthearted uh, humor and just content in our lives. But we also are using that as a catapult into deregulating some of the government in our local communities when it comes to the seafood industry. Um, and so, the, it, yeah, 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 that's my counterpart, Eskimo Libertarian. We actually run a show together on uh, Muddy Waters Media. And so, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Kitten. Anyway, 
What's, Te- the kitten, yeah. what's the kitten's name? Breeze. Okay. As in Drew Breeze. Got it. So if you're a Saints fan, you completely understand. Um, she unplugged my MacBook. So hopefully that won't be an issue. Anyway. Okay. Back, yeah. Over. Yeah. I will actually chuck this up to Matt Wright and Spike Cohen. Um, again, I never had tech difficulties until I got on board with Muddy Waters Media. And now it just doesn't stop. So it's your fight. It's your fault, Spike. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. had to throw that out there. Oh, uh, Jack. Curse. Yeah, yeah. Jack Casey says, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. A much awesome. less garbage filled place. How far is Santa Clara from you? Santa, Santa Barbara, Barbara, I'm sorry. Santa Barbara, oh, two hours at the most. Oh, wow. Maybe, That's not maybe far. An, maybe an hour and 40 minutes. Up the up the coast, up the 101. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Very nice area. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard. Um, Cal. Uh, well, I mean, I've heard all almost all of middle to southern California is gorgeous all year round. So I am very jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, not that jealous. I, I like my warmth too. That's why I live in the deep south, down in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. So that's yeah, where my parents uh, live. I. Uh... I do oh, wow. visit occasionally. Yeah. Not very often, but. Well, uh, I'm, I might have to meet up with your parents and, and have some lunch. And then we'll send you some text messages about how good our food is and better than it is in California. Yes. Harpoon them into the LP. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I won't fight about the food. Just harpoon them into the LP. Drag them in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would do my part. You send them my way. I would do my part. That's for sure. Um, speaking of the LP, you are running for, and you've been running since before everything that's been going on, uh, for the, the chair, correct? Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. And has any of the, uh, recent, um, messaging slash news that's come out of the national LP, has that changed anything for you? Well, probably. I'm sort of in wait and see mode right now. I am watching everything as closely as I possibly can. And I am right. trying to be very informed without getting too involved. Oh, I don't want to be seen as politicizing it for my own gain. Because what's happening at the LNC right now is really crappy. Um, it really sucks. So, you know, and we're not out of the woods yet. So we don't know what's going to happen. So... Has it affected my race? It remains to be seen. I mean, at this point, it looks like it's making it a lot easier. But I don't know what could happen in a week or two, right? Like, we're still kind of, like, kind of trying to get out of this mess. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of what I'm hearing. Um, I'm not a part of the LNC. And so I've really tried to actively stay away from everything that's going on because Personally, myself, I'm a firm believer in um, 2021 politics and that if we let some of this just iron itself out, then let the memory hole do its job. But not everybody shares that sentiment. And I, you know, appreciate all perspectives for sure. But we, you know, we obviously do have to. um, Wow, there's a lot of comments. Angela for LNC chair. So, yeah, I hope that makes you a. I hope that inspires you for sure. 
yeah. to keep doing what you're doing. But there, you know, there's a lot of controversy involved right now. There's a lot of uh, vitriol and, and, and things of that nature that I really don't feel like I need to tell everybody because it's pretty obvious at this point. But if you're going to run for chair, or I'm sorry, if you're running for chair, you're running for interim too now, right? No, I have not oh, thrown okay. my name in the hat sorry. for interim chair um, for a few reasons. One, I don't believe that the makeup of the board right now that they would vote me in. So I don't, I don't believe in uh, spending my time doing exercises in futility. Right. And uh, two, I'm not sure that that would really be a good move for me strategically. I don't think that that would have a positive impact on my race. I know a lot of people want to see me just like join, you know, become chair right now, but realistically, I don't think that would work. So let's, let's let the cards fall where they may. I would be very happy right now if Ken Moulton became chair for the duration of the term. Yeah. Uh, I I'm hearing that every day in just about every hour right now. So I, I had heard from someone that you were going to run for the interim, but, um, nope. I, it was somebody off a of clubhouse. So glad you cleared that up. Thank yep. you very much. Uh, when is the election for the LNC chair for your race specifically for everyone that doesn't know, please. It is Memorial Day weekend. I believe that's the last weekend of May. All of a sudden, I can't think of a date right now. If it's, It might be the 26th oh, um, through the 28th. Sorry, everyone. I can't remember right now. Um, of okay. 2022. And it's in Reno slash Sparks, Nevada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. National convention, right? Yep. National convention. And I don't know the date that the interim chair will be selected. The LNC list is like absolute crack cocaine. Uh, and uh, I have been checking it meticulously, but I have not checked it in several hours today. So I'm not sure if they've announced a date for that uh, decision yet. Uh, well, I've been asking this question a lot and I haven't gotten an answer so far. Are there going to be multiple nominations for said chair, for said interim chair, or just oh, one? Oh, yeah. I'm sure there will be multiple nominations. That's how it works in almost every libertarian election. Just like there will be multiple candidates for chair when I'm running in 2022. Right. And I assume so, but at this point, I don't want to assume anything. And right. so I figured, I figured I would just ask, you know, cause you're going to know a lot more than I do. And so, um, after we get all that behind us, and I do personally believe that most of this will pass, um, in a very short amount of time, actually, I think if we, when we look back on this, it's, it's June now, let's say in October, I think most of this is going to be forgotten and we're going to be concentrating on 2022 as we should be. That's my personal opinion. But, um, for, so for you personally, Angela, if you don't mind when you're, uh, running for chair, I talked to Brian and he helped me out a bunch. Brian Lambert, for everybody watching, it's phenomenal. I just love that guy. Could not thank him enough for all the help, for everything. But um, for this specifically, he told me that you've been privately fundraising money through regular donors to allow yourself to be paid a salary as national chair and be able to do the job full time. Why has this never been done before? Where did you get this idea? And how successful are you going to be or have you been in implementing it? 
I don't know why it's never been done before. I believe, I believe, so the Republican Party pays their party chair. The DNC does. I've heard the Green Party does as well. The Libertarian Party should do it, not just because everyone else does, because you should have someone dedicated to doing this full time. It's a massive amount of work. Um, Major props to every chair in the past who's done this while working full time. Can it be done? Yeah, but I think it can be done much better if you're dedicated to it full time. And how's it going? I am almost three quarters to the way of my monthly fundraising goal. (laughs) So do I think that the chair should be paid? Yes. Am I going to try to influence or pressure the national party to pay me? No, but I do think the people who come after me should get paid. And so I want to get the party in better financial shape so that they can do that because I just think that that's like really important for our success, especially considering how much administration the chair has to do. Like everybody, like from an optics perspective, it looks like the chair runs meetings, deals with obviously email motions and fighting about that and uh, does a lot of behind the scenes stuff that no one really knows about. But there is a lot of financial stuff that takes place. There are a lot of calls to donors. It's just a lot of technical administrative work. And I really do think it needs at least 35 hours a week dedicated to it. Yeah, it kind of blows my mind. I I found out uh, earlier this year that our our chair for the National Committee is not a paid position. I'm not I'm not understanding that Um, just from my end alone, just being a podcaster who just talks to incredible people like you um i have a a full-time career and i can barely keep up with this it doesn't make sense to me that somebody that's going to run the entire freaking organization it it still has to have a day job so i find it absolutely amazing that you are finding a way to get yourself paid so that you can focus on the party and on the the you know national committee yeah, and I'm basically doing the libertarian stuff full time now. I've pretty much quit all of my litigation work. I'm still doing some pro bono stuff and some small jobs, and I'm still wrapping up some cases I had committed to that are pending. But that's like, it's definitely less than 10 hours of work a week at this point. Wow. Um, but, you know, traveling to conventions every single weekend, chairing LA County being active on the California executive committee and doing all these other projects I've got going on, like trying to help state parties understand the concept of branding, cleaning up their messaging, being, you know, more strategic and setting goals. Like that's more than 40 hours. I spend like, I don't know, 10 to 12 hours a day on a lot of this stuff. So I'll be, yeah, I'm, I'm already doing the, the thing. I'll just be shifting it more to, national if and when i get elected yeah well you've got a road ahead you've got some time but i think it's pretty remarkable that you already put your sights on being able to absolutely focus in on the libertarian party as the chairs and um obviously we have lives to live we have i have three kids to raise rent to pay electricity to pay and so to be able to fund your your just daily existence um, and 
focus all of your attention on the national party. I think it's incredible. I think we should uh, make that the standard. I again, I don't know why we aren't doing it now. Um, right? Maybe well, we, need, we need more fundraising. We don't have we don't have a lot of capital as a party that promotes capitalism. Like we don't we don't have a lot of fundraising right now, and we definitely need to improve that. So that's something that I'm going to be you know working on. Beat that drum really hard if I'm elected. That's a good drum to beat. Uh, I think we're doing a really good job of that here in the recent past uh, on a local level. Uh, I just think it's very important that we kind of hammer it home on a national level. I think a lot of people get so sucked in. I'm assuming here I'm just going by, you know, what I have on my end is that we get so wrapped up in our local communities and, and which is you know, extraordinarily important. That's the message that I preach every week. Um, but we have to get the uh, the funding for the national messaging as well. And so, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of controversy and um, in my personal opinion, absolutely just tearing the LNC apart over the last week or so. Um, how, you know, how would you handle that if you were the chair and if you were asked to step down in such a vast uh, scheme as as JBH was, how, you know, how would you handle all this? Okay, so that's a two part question. So let's take it apart a little bit. Um, yeah. How would I have handled it? You know, the scandal, whatever you want to call it, differently than JBH. Well, get in the time machine, right, and go back in time, <laughs> and uh, from the very beginning when all of this mess with New Hampshire started. From his own admissions, he knew what was going on, and he wrote that letter anyway. So let's say you're in a in a position where you know that something uh, sketchy is going to happen, and you have been asked to provide a letter that you know is likely to be abused. Well, the first thing you should do is you should go to your officers and talk to them about it. And that didn't happen in this situation. And in LA County, like I feel nervous if you know an hour goes by where I have information that my other officers don't like, we don't have those kind of conflicts, but like, I don't know, like if we've got, uh, if we got a fine or something from the, from the government that hates the local counties, they do that all the time. They try to fine us or, uh, I found out we had $11 in unclaimed funds, <laughs> but it's a joke. Right. But I immediately told everyone, Hey, you know, if we have a speaker change for our convention, that happened. I, you know, I'm sweating. I'm like, oh, I gotta get home and send an email. These are like not big deal things, but I always make sure everyone's in the know. Well, geez, how about letting everyone else know what's going on when you've got a state party like attempted coup? So that'd be the first thing I would do differently. And uh, as far as the letter goes, a really good way to deal with that without letting anyone screw anyone else over is to go ahead and send a letter out recognizing the state chair and make sure you put the name of every other officer and at-large member on it. So yes, I recommend, or I, I re we recognize that blah, blah, blah is the state party officer and these are the other officers as well. And this is the treasurer and this group of people is right now who we have recognized. And copy every single officer in the party on it and let them all know this, like, just be transparent in what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why that's so complicated. Um, 
Okay. So the resignation thing, what would I do? Okay. So let's say I mismanage something or I say something on the news that offends people. It could be anything. Right. And I got a ton of people calling for my resignation, like a ton. I think a reasonable way to deal with this is to, well, first talk about it with your executive committee, at least your officers and have one of them, you know, I would probably vote on this and ask the secretary to do it. That's what I would probably try to begin with. I would want to poll sent out to everyone who was a delegate at the convention that elected me to see whether or not they would want me to resign and to take public comment from them. And if I was going to resign halfway through, I would want to make sure that the percentage of people who were asking me to resign was at least a little bit above the percentage of people who elected me. I feel that it's a little bit disrespectful to quit after people have asked you to commit to something and see it through. But if you really screw up and people need to recall you, I feel like you should respect the will of the delegation. I don't believe that we should give into woke cancel culture, like angry mobs on the internet though. I think it needs to be focused on the people who actually made the decision to put you in the position in the first place. Yeah, um, so you're responding specifically to internet jargon and um, the high demand from uh, loud voices, which I truly honestly believe to be uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of yep. situation. I That's agree. my personal opinion. Okay, uh, nobody has to agree. Um, well, thank you, Angela. Has <laughs> a little bit of a del but I delay do. here. I do agree. <laughs> no, I, I, it, that's me. Um, I, I think we should always put our foot on the gas. We should always be looking forward. We can address issues as they come along. But I, I'm not. Here's my personal example. If if a bunch of people were to call on me to say that I said something wrong or that they didn't find. Um, socially correct and that they were going to you know ask me to step down from what i do here i would not that's my personal opinion i don't really know a bunch about what happened with jbh just to be honest with you um i'm just I'm talking from my personal experience uh the 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 number of people that want me to do this far outweigh the few voices that just happen to be louder than the rest of them that are offended. And I don't know if this even makes sense. Again, I, I don't know about what a lot about what happened. I'm just talking about from what I would do. Yeah. And we're still waiting to find out too. Like we don't know if there was additional malfeasance that could be attributed to Joe. We don't know. Uh, we're, you know, there's going to be a, an investigation into some of the stuff that happened in New Hampshire, and it may or may not turn much up, you know, and I'm not even sure if I, if, if the people who are going to be selected for that are the best, most qualified people for the job, right? So it's, it's really challenging to navigate all of this. So I guess we'll find out, but that might, you know, that might <clears throat> shed some additional light on whether or not he should have resigned and why he did. That's a good point. I just talked about some of this on Clubhouse today. Um, I'm probably talking way more than I should. This is your show. I'm supposed to let you talk, but um, I, I just personally, again, I cannot express my ignorance enough to the situation. I don't really know. 
But at the same time, <clears throat> I just told them today, I think one of the worst reactions that we could have had, we had. And that was knee-jerk uh, reactionary responses to something that probably could have been handled a lot better, right? It reminds me of the COVID situation. Uh, the COVID disease pandemic was bad, but our government response to it was way freaking worse. And I feel like we're making this worse than it has to be. Uh, we need to do a better job of emotional management. I'm saying we, I'm saying me. Um, emotional management and and just proper uh political etiquette when it comes to scenarios like these i don't appreciate how we address them i don't appreciate the tweets that came out and i think that messaging was poor and i've been very loud about that but this just overreaction of uh, uh you know overreactionary response mm -hmm. to it has made this just so much worse again that's my personal opinion nobody has to agree with me i don't even know that angela agrees with me we didn't talk about this prior this is just how I feel. So sorry. Go ahead. Okay. So can we talk about the the tweets coming out of New Hampshire and then go back in time a little bit to Kentucky, which has been, you know, that, that's faded from our memory because all the New Hampshire stuff. Okay. Yeah. So I think there's like three things I want to say about this. The tweet, and, and this kind of also ties into like the optics of the Mises caucus. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit too. I was going to ask you a little bit. Yeah. So the tweets of the New Hampshire and the Kentucky LP they're not the only Mises caucus controlled social media accounts that exist. Florida and Washington are Mises dominated and they are incredibly polished. I recommend actually that the, the Florida Instagram account is excellent. Excellent. Uh, now the people who, but the optics are that pe the squeaky wheel, like you said, gets the grease. So the, this two state parties that people are screaming and complaining about, you know, like they were, recent Mises caucus like takeover wins at the state level and so that's what's getting all of the attention but there are a ton of other states that have a heavy Mises caucus influence and their social media game is pretty great so just perspective um the people who are screaming that the new hampshire and kentucky tweets are terrible and don't re represent our values and i mean the ones being like the, the angriest about it you know everybody's right. entitled to an opinion but i think they should maybe stop screaming. And here's why. If you don't like something, it's really, it's much better, I think, to try offering to help and make a change that's positive than to just condemn and insult and denigrate and put people down. Uh, because these are people that we're all supposed to be working together to achieve the same thing. So there's no need to make sworn enemies over a handful of tweets. I think we should build each other up not tear each other down, help someone with their branding, help someone craft messaging. I think that's the way to go. Um, and the last thing I would say is, has anyone complaining bothered to ask New Hampshire or Kentucky whether or not their membership has grown or if interest in their party has peaked in a positive way since their controversial tweets? Because I haven't heard anyone talking about that. So I would recommend that people actually ask before you start demanding that New Hampshire change their behavior. Um, we don't like the LNC meddling in state affiliates. We have seen that recently. So I think by the same token, we shouldn't try to be too controlling with how another state affiliate conducts its libertarian business. Having said all of that, 
Would I have sent out the same tweets? No. I would have crafted things a little bit more carefully. Um, but that doesn't mean that I think we should just be like, mm, war isn't nice. Lockdowns aren't nice. Please vote libertarian if you don't mind. I believe we should have strong messaging. But I think it should be I think it should be carefully crafted by skilled messengers. Yeah, I'm going to have to hard agree on that one. Um, and again, this is not something that you and I have talked about before. I am very new to all of this. Most of y'all know I didn't know about the Mises Caucus or any caucus. I didn't know what a caucus was until like three weeks ago. I just have a passion for this. I have a, a an extreme drive to push this movement forward. And so with all that being said, I, I, I personally, I just couldn't agree more. Um, that was what drove me into activism was the lack of response in messaging. Sorry, the lack of response in freaking strong messaging against yeah. the COVID uh, reaction by the government. It, I want to say it was Ben Franklin that said it first. Uh, people, you know, things won't change until people that are unaffected are just as mad as those who are. I'm paraphrasing there. And the COVID stuff was what pissed me off to the point to where I got tired of waiting on anybody else. I said, you know what? I'm done. And, and again, I wasn't a part of the Libertarian Party. I've been a Libertarian for years, but I wasn't involved. And so that was what drove me over the tipping point um, into becoming an activist was that lack of messaging coming from any party at all in my own personal belief system. So I I think we got bigger fish to fry. That's my personal belief. I, I, I And again, on Clubhouse today, not to beat this dead horse, but... Uh, I kind of, you know, I kind of feel like we got more things to deal with and, and now, and we, and now look and I, Eskimo Libertarian, I did a show yesterday covering a no doc raid in Alaska due to January 6th and us being lumped in to January 6th with quote unquote rioters or whatever anybody wants to call it. And now they're coming out with a new domestic terrorism program. I'm, I'm not supposed to rant with you on the show. It's an Stop understandable. It. It's an understandable rant. I'm. I, I'm. I don't want the petty nonsense. Is the point that I'm trying to make? This is ridiculous to me. Um, we have real problems on the horizon, and this isn't one of them. And right. so, I should probably get back to the notes um, before I get too fired up with. Angela McArdle, who's running for the chair of the LNC, and I'm sitting here eating up all her time. Sorry. Um, you just, you, you you got me right there because it's a big deal for me. It's the entire reason I got into this movement was the lack of messaging. Like, what are, what are we doing? And so, you know, we, we have a strong message. We had an opportunity. We missed it. Thank God. I've said it before. The government does not relent in their tyranny. And so today's a new day to fight said tyranny. And we should do that one foot at a time. The first foot should be strong messaging. Uh, I was actually going to ask you about how the Libertarian National Committee could be more transparent. You addressed that. Uh, thank you. And so um, I guess 
Yeah, you, you've already kind of talked about how great the Mises Caucus is and fundraising, stellar event coordination, uh, recruitment of young people to the party. A lot of people talk about this stuff every day. A lot of what people have issues with the Mises Caucus as a whole, which, again, I'm not on board with bashing a lot of people over a few bad actors, um, whether you've experienced it in real time or not. At the end of the day, to me, that's collectivism, and I'm not on board with that. But there is some response to the messaging from the Mises Caucus. Um, what what do we tell those folks? Let's see. Regarding the messaging, let's break this down. So I talked a little bit about some of the other states that have excellent messaging. Um, and the optics, you know, being uh, that New Hampshire and Kentucky are sort of like the, the sum of everything, which is not correct. What about... What about the Mises Caucus's reputation in general? Maybe I could share some thoughts on that. Um, yeah. I think that the Mises Caucus is very wrongly smeared as bigots, whatever that means, and, uh, heart, you know, bearers of bad messaging and, I guess, you know, crappy online behavior. The reality is that every single group of human beings that has access to the internet is going to have a percentage of people that behave like jerks. Uh, that includes church groups. It includes all kinds of groups designated to spread like love and good cheer, you know, help the homeless, cakewalk for blind babies, whatever it is. There's always going to be a percentage of human beings that suck because that is the human condition. That oh, is right. just what it is. And I think that's that, the, right, like I think that the critics... Like the hardcore critics of the Mises Caucus behave sort of like Snopes. So the problem with Snopes is they'll report something that's wrong, but then they disproportionately underreport things that are wrong in other areas. Um, you know, people who don't like the LPMC, they disproportionately highlight bad actors that lurk in a Facebook group. And there's 8,000 people in that Facebook group, at least. That doesn't mean that every single one of them is like a vetted, committed Mises Caucus member. Ooh, you got thunder. Sorry. Yeah, it's Ooh, a bad storm. Sorry. That's fast. That's all right. <laughs> um, so, you know, like there's like a vetting process that people go through to get delegate status, to get whether or not they're going to get our endorsement, whether or not we want them really like engaged at the local level. But you always have people lurking. Like it's just a Facebook group. That is not the sum of the Mises Caucus, you know, like we've got a board, we've got state organizers, we've got dedicated members. Um, but anyway, bad actors get elevated. Um, Squeaky and, wheel and, gets the grease. Yeah. And at the same time, no, they don't highlight the other rude people that exist in other libertarian circles. The attention is is just like spotlighted on the Mises Caucus. There are other groups mm -hmm. on, on Facebook that are dedicated to throwing us in a volcano one person said that he would melt us with acid that's uh it's not uh -huh. very libertarian uh someone you know there are actually lots of people who make really crass disgusting comments about me my body whatever you know like uh crass sexual comments i just tend to ignore them there's no reason to to blow it out of proportion um you know like that's just the human condition unfortunately Personally, I've never met a bigoted Mises Caucus member in person at a convention, at a meetup. I never have. 
uh, whatever the word bigot means. I've never had a Mises Caucus member sexually harass me or be verbally abusive to me. Um, but I've had other party members engage in that sort of behavior. Not a lot, you know, so I don't scream about it all the time because I just don't think that it's worthwhile. So right. I would just ask people to like keep things in perspective and be reasonable and understand that people have agendas. And there are, there are a lot of people who really dislike us and they're very afraid of the party getting more principled radical messaging. And they're, they're afraid of like their status quo positions being taken away. And to that extent, you know, like I sympathize with them as human beings. Like you're right. Like I don't agree with what, what their goals are, what their end game is. Um, but I can understand that they're, they feel threatened and that's just how they're going to react. I can understand that. Yep. I can understand um, that, that, you know, that's part of being defensive. That's part of being human. And I think if we can hammer one point home, it's something that I've been saying for a long time, uh, have been having been in ministry for a long time is that we're dealing with human beings. You know, we, 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 humans are going to suck from time to time. It doesn't matter what label they have. And so I think in order for us to grow as a movement, and I don't see any hindrance here other than the, the little bit of speed bumps we're going through in, uh, in with growth, um, we will grow and you know we'll learn to work together. Now, I'm saying we're, I'm not talking about you and I, I'm talking about us as, as a community. And I'd rather call us a community than a party because I think that's what we are. Uh, I think that we're bringing more people into the fold every day. And um, I can't thank you enough for being here. I can't thank you enough for doing exactly what it is that you do. And even coming on here and, and being on a show where I typically don't go this hardcore into the nuts and bolts of what's about to happen and what is happening. Usually I like to keep it lighthearted and fun. And so I appreciate your willingness to answer questions that I believe everybody needs to hear because um, you're going to be, you are and are going to be even more of an important, an important person coming up here in the very near future. So thank you, Angela, so much. You are very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And if it's okay with you, uh, we will check in with you and your run and race um, very soon. If yeah. That's all right. Definitely. Yeah. Just have you back on, or you can have me on your show. That'll work. No, I don't have a show. I don't have a show. <laughs> I know <laughs> you're way too busy for this nonsense that I do a few times a week. So <laughs> I, I, I am. Yeah, very much so. And I appreciate you giving your time to us tonight. Um, I said 45 minutes, you said an hour and here it is at an hour because you're way smarter than I am. And that's why you're running for chair of the LNC. And hopefully we can get some things ironed out and changed and turned around over the next few days. And I expect that you're going to be a pivotal part of that. And thank you very much, Angela. I will talk to you very, very soon. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye. Absolutely incredible. Thank you all so much. I loved every second. I think it's always incredible to have people of such high stature and intelligence and to be able to articulate the things that we need to hear on such a, a 
large basis. Um, lots of comments. Wishing you the best, Angela. Great show. Um, a lot of people saying Angela for chair. And um, I'm just, I'm proud to be here, to be honest with you. I'm super proud to be here right now talking to people that are um, looking to change the uh, the culture of our party in, in the sense that we have to stop the infighting and that we have to move forward and that we got to do things from the bottom up. I couldn't be more proud to be associated with people like Angela and Brian Lambrick and Spike Cohen, Matt Wright, um, my entire team, right? Uh, the Cajun Libertarian staff. Uh, Carly Rose, Angela Smoot, Brian Ramsey, my wife, a uh, huge part. Caitlin Cloven helps out a bunch, uh, a bunch, a bunch. And, um, oh, God, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. I don't think so. Eskimo. Eskimo Libertarian. Yes. Nellick. Check her show out every Thursday. Um, again, uh, and, and thank you, thank you, thank you, Angela, for coming on. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll have another phenomenal guest on, um, another LNC member, another uh, state chair, uh, Whitney Bilyeu, the state chair of Texas. And so didn't plan all this, right? It just, uh, how it goes. Sometimes we have a meltdown at the LNC or whatever the F you want to call it. I don't care what you call it. It seems pretty like a pretty much like a meltdown to me maybe not to you that's okay and then the very next week cajun libertarian has uh angela mccardo on absolutely phenomenal running for chair los angeles county chair already uh, and then whitney bill the texas state chair lnc member coming on wednesday and then um kristen alexander ran for office in indiana big deal there and then we'll get into next week. And so, again, um, we're going to jump off of here. It is closing in on an hour, and I've watched the viewers drop by a second, drop by the second, because nobody cares what I have to say. They want to hear people like Angela, and for obvious good epping reason. So, with that being said, I will leave you with one last plug. RoyalGreen.com. Jack Casey. Read it. No, you can't. It's too long. I can't read it. Look at that. It's ridiculous. There's. I'm going to have to agree with Chris Darnell on this. This has to be not written by Jack Casey, although it says his name on the front there. Jack Casey. Royalgreen.com. I'm going to go throw this in the bathroom so that when my toddler wakes up in the morning, he can stand on it and take a leak in the toilet, as I've promised. Jack Casey, royalgreen.com, Cajun Libertarian, PayPal, CajunLibertarian.com. Get your merchandise. We have a bunch more coming out. Tunica event coming soon, July 9th through 11th. Need your monies there, and your attendance will be great. Jack Casey's laughing because of his book and how bad it is and that he cannot believe that people of such grand stature like myself, the Cajun libertarian, who's obviously a freaking celebrity would advertise his crappy book on my program. In all seriousness, Jack case is a brilliant author. 
I am just a facilitator of people like Angela McArdle, Whitney Billiou, uh, every single person I have on the show. I know I'm not much to listen to. I'm okay with that. I'm just proud to be here so that you can hear the voices of these people leading the liberty movement, whether or not you agree with their caucus or their association or not. These are people that are putting their best effort and their best feet forward to make what we want this country to be happen. James Reynolds, we are Jack Casey. I am the Cajun Libertarian. I love you very, very much. I will see you Wednesday. Same Cajun time, same Cajun channel, and I am 